Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartledgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. Lord, I just pray your blessing over this time now. Just uh, pour out your spirit on us and help us to get a, a lot out of these scriptures from the book of Galatians as we continue in our study. Uh, so I pray that you guide me, guide my words, help me to say exactly what you've uh, called me to say today and that there be nothing else said except what you've called me to say. In the name of Jesus, amen. So Galatians, we're going to continue in our Galatians study. This is been a while since we've done one. We've only actually done one, so <laughs> about, I don't know, two months ago or something. So we're going to keep on going, and it happens to be a very uh, a powerful section of Scripture that we're going to read. And if you remember, this was really the um, key Scripture that I used for the Uncovering Religion series, which was one of those Scriptures that made me go through each of the religions, world religions and cults, and, and go through them uh, one by one. So they're all still available on iTunes. Uh, if you look up Uncovering Religion uh, by Rob Cartledge, or just even Uncovering Religion, they come up and they're all listed there. So um, it's good for you to check them out. So it says in Galatians 1 verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So he's, he's just totally freaked out. I can't believe it. That we came, we, we laboured among you, we taught you the truth, we made it clear as crystal, and then we've, we're gone and it's like a year later and you're deserting the truth and you're following a lie, you're following a, de- a deception. And it blew Paul's mind because he, if you think about it, Paul used to go into places and spend eight months, a year, you know, he'd labour in a place for long periods of time. And it must have really freaked him out that they had already started following a different gospel. And he said, it's really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even... Now, what I'm about to read... Um, I want everyone to understand, and especially those online, I had a guy uh, in our, there was a sermon in, in our Critical Doctrine Sermons series where I spoke about the importance of doctrine. And, uh, and I said, correct doctrine saves you. Correct doctrine, false doctrine condemns you. And he basically rebuked me for saying, he says, it's really, it's not about doctrine, it's about faith in Christ. And he listed off, you know, things that he believes. And I said, well, isn't that doctrine that you're actually stating? You know, uh, it's a misunderstanding of what doctrine is. But listen to what Paul says and how, um, how important correct doctrine is to Paul. He said, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel 
other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. So he's saying if you even preach a false doctrine, let him be eternally condemned. This is really important because the church is full of false preachers, false teachers, false prophets that are preaching false doctrine, condemning many who follow those false doctrine and condemning themselves because Paul's already pronounced the, the curse. As we have already said, this is verse 9, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what, we, uh, what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I, and so he said it twice. He said the same thing pretty much twice, stressing the importance. Correct doctrine is critical to salvation because without it, you're condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? He's not trying to win the approval of men. That's for sure. He's trying to win the approval of God. Or am I trying to please men? Certainly not, because if he was trying to please men, he wouldn't stress the importance of the correct doctrine that he's talking about here, would he? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ, because Christ, you know, was repugnant in most people's eyes, you know. But to Paul, he was, he was worth, you know, dying for and being a slave of and, uh, and laying his life down for. And as, it should, as Jesus should be for us as well. Okay, so who's, who's got a hold of that? That's a good scripture. So this is, again, it's a, a sub-series uh, of the Truth, Judgment and Eternity series. Uh, and it's called Galatians Verse by Verse as we're going through it. And this message today, of course, is called No Other Gospel. There is no other gospel. The gospel, firstly, we must understand the gospel must be preached. Now, why I'm bringing this up is because the true gospel must be preached. And I think I've, I've said in a sermon a few months ago that, uh, well, I'll read the scripture and then I'll talk about it. Matthew twenty four fourteen, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, it's a key to remember here, um, for, for the last hundred years, ministers would say, we're reaching into all the you know, remotest parts of the earth with the gospel now. And they say, when we've reached the remotest part, then we've fulfilled this commission, this part of the commission. However, I believe they've gone into many parts of the world with a distorted gospel, with a watered-down gospel, with a weak, pathetic version of the gospel. And so this gospel, the truth of the gospel, the hard-hitting truth must be preached. You know, salvation by grace. However, we've got to walk in holiness. We must understand that hell exists. It's not a, a, an eternal sleep or an annihilation. It exists. Jesus made it clear. Eternal torment, he talks about. We've got to make that clear. We sh shouldn't be shy to say that, that that's what we believe. Even if you know it's not going to be popular among your friends, when they hear you say it, they'll look at you and think, what, he believes in hell? Come on, man, you're crazy. The band ACDC believes in hell. <laughs> they sing about it, and people, you know, go after them. How many bands sing about hell? And they're proud to sing about hell. But then a Christian says, I believe in hell, and everyone wants to condemn the Christian. That doesn't make sense, does it? 2 Timothy 4, 3, 4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. 
I think we're in that time. <laughs> we're in that time right now. The time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, they shall heap up for themselves teachers. Now, it's, this is an interesting verse because I was just listening to a minister from Melbourne. Uh, I was watching a video, a, Christ, a man of Christians whose name is Christian Ailing. And uh, he said there's been never a time in history when men could heap up for themselves teachers as, the, as this time now. Like, how can you heap up teachers? If you go to church on Sunday and you've got one teacher up there and you go to the same church every week, how do you heap up teachers? You can sort of through books and a few things like that. But now they're heaping up teachers on the internet. You've got, you know, uh, one person will be watching 15, 20 of their favourite ministers and they sort of, you know, juggle them weekly, listening to their different messages. Men heaping up teachers and then they could throw in a bit of Hindu, Hindu teaching, a bit of Buddhist teaching and mix in, a, uh, you know, some Christian science and a little bit of, um, you know, Jehovah Witnesses and, you know, teaching, Watchtower teaching and all that sort of stuff. They, they sort of mix concoctions together. They get what they think is the best of all of it and make their own brand of, of religion. And this is very, very common today. At this time, at the time of the end, though, after their own lust, they shall heap up for themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. They will turn away from the truth because the truth cuts like a knife. The truth is hard-hitting. The truth offends. And it is offensive, and I know it's offensive because when I, know, I know when I preach the truth that it's offensive. Because when I talk to an unbeliever and I speak what I know is the truth, they don't like hearing it. It's too much. It's too in their face. It's like, come on, man, hell. You know, and only those that believe in Jesus and have to walk, walk and follow Jesus get into heaven? You've got to be joking. There's not just one way to heaven. You know who heard Oprah Winfrey say that? Someone said, well, what about Jesus, this woman in the audience, a gutsy Christian, you know? And what did Oprah Winfrey say? What about Jesus? And she says, Jesus is the only way. And then she turns and says, it's not possible that he can be the only way. <laughs> I'm sorry, it is possible. Who are you going to believe, Oprah Winfrey or the Bible? I think the Bible's been around a little bit longer than Oprah Winfrey. And I think it's going to be around a lot longer after Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> sorry? Yeah, that's right. That's the only reason we know about heaven. Bono, the emergent church uh, apostle. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm actually talking about Bono in this. Uh, only very briefly. But. All right. Deceptive doctrine. 2 Timothy 3, 12 to 14. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's comforting. It's good to know in advance so you can prepare yourself. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse... Deceiving and being deceived. We're going to see an increase even from now. We've been studying how many deceivers there are out there and you sort of think, man, just about, you know, most things that are going on today in the religious world is there's a deception involved in it somewhere, you know. And for me to try to cut through all that deception and try to keep coming at you guys with the truth, just handing you pure truth, sometimes I find that really hard to cut through, but the Holy Spirit's given me a way, and I believe I'm speaking the truth, um, 
by exposing deception. And by exposing deception, it makes the truth clearer, in my opinion. You know what I'm saying? So while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, you know, like these prosperity preachers in America that have the beautiful big mansions, they, they're, they're in de facto relationships, sleeping with women, having children to them, they're not even married, and they're out there preaching the Bible. And you think, come on, man, they're imposters. Wolves in sheep's clothing, fleecing the flock. That's all they're doing. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it. So from, you know me, from whom you've learned it. Right, deceptive, 2 Corinthians 11.3. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your mind somehow may be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He's always concerned about this, as I am. I am concerned that if we don't keep looking at this, if we don't keep focusing on the truth of the gospel, what is the pure gospel, that we could be deceived, especially when such a great deception is going to come upon this earth in the last days. A huge deception is coming, and it is already here in many respects, but it's coming and it's going to be so great that even the elite could be deceived if that was possible. Even the elect of Christ living on the earth. That means someone like Joe Schimmel could nearly get deceived by what's coming, even though he's probably one of the, uh, in my opinion, a guy that can expose deception clearer than any other man on the planet at the moment. You know, this deception is going to be very, very powerful. And remember I said the, the last week about how um, when you're starving hungry and a beautiful meal set before you, how, you know, you desire that meal. It's the most tempting thing you'll ever lay your eyes upon is a beautiful meal when you're starving hungry. And that's how alluring this deception is going to be. It's going to be so attractive. But we're going to have to know the truth and we're going to have to stand on the truth and be sure that what we believe is solid. Do you know what I'm saying? 2 John 7-8 Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out to the world. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out to the world. There are a lot. Many, in, it means multitudes. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. So the antichrist is really a name for anyone who rejects Jesus Christ. So if you're talking to someone and, and they don't believe Jesus exists, he's an antichrist, you know, but there is many antichrists, but there is also the one antichrist who will appear in the very last days, and he will come with the strongest illusion because he'll be Satan incarnate. Uh, any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. But watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for but that you may be rewarded fully. We don't want to lose our reward. The key is we could lose a lot if we're not careful, if we don't keep our eyes peeled, in a sense, to what's going to be taking place. Now, in relation to um, the, the gospel and the purity of the gospel, um, uh, and, and the only gospel, there's no other gospel, and I want to make clear what that gospel is, 
I won't be going uh, broadly into it today. I'm just going to go through a few scriptures. But the first thing we have to understand is that Jesus came uh, and was born of a virgin, wasn't, wasn't he? The Virgin Mary. It says the Holy Spirit came upon her and placed Jesus in her womb. Now that immediately tells us if the Holy Spirit did it, it wasn't a creation thing. It was an injection of God into her womb. God was placed in her womb. And that's the whole story. That's the whole thing behind the Immaculate Conception. Now, there's many deceivers out there that will tell you different. No, God never came. Jesus is a creature. Or Jesus is the Archangel Michael. And, and all this sort of rubbish. But it says the Holy Spirit did this, that God placed his son. Now, he used the term son for our understanding, so we can understand that he's of the same kind as God is. Not to say that he's not God. People say, Jesus isn't God. He's the Son of God. I'm going, well, it's like saying, and I've said this how many times, it's like saying my son John is not human because he's the son of Rob. That's ridiculous. The analogy is for us to understand that Jesus is God. That's what it's there for. So I want to make that first point. And then I'm just going to go through the scriptures. And if anyone who denies that Jesus is God is just blatantly rejecting scripture. Because it says this very, very clearly. John 1, 1 to 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know from just down the bottom there, 114, the Word became flesh and blood for a while among us. Who's that? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Word, and He was God. He was with God in the beginning, meaning at the beginning of eternity, whenever that is, he's there with God. He is God. That's why he's with God. Through him all things were made. So he's the creator. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So without Jesus, nothing was in the universe was made that wasn't made. So Jesus exists outside of time, outside of creation, because he made everything. And without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. So in Jesus was life. So that means without Jesus, life doesn't happen. If Jesus removed his life force from the universe, everyone would drop dead. And we'd pop, all our atoms would just dissolve. And, the, and that life was the light of men. So Jesus is God. Hebrews 1, 1 to 4, it says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his own personal son, God whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Through Jesus he made the universe. Come on. Can a creature create the universe? No, only God can create the universe. Because if Jesus was a creature, he would have had to create himself, which is an impossibility. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. How many verses tell us that Jesus is God? You can't get many more. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. So Jesus sustains the universe by his powerful word. Now that's no creature. That's God. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. People think he inherited it, you know, when he was on earth. No, he inherited it through birth, being Jesus, being God. You know, it's like, you know, I I get an inheritance from my my parents, you know, and it's not because I did anything, it's because they did it. And it's because I'm their son. I'm one of their same kind, you know what I mean? 
And it's the same with, with Jesus. He inherited it because he is God. Of course he inherited it. Colossians 1, 15, 18, he's the image of the invisible God. So he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created. For who? By Jesus all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rules, authorities, all things were created by Jesus and and for Jesus. He is before all things. Jesus is before anything was created, and in him all things hold together again. So this is Colossians now, three separate scriptures saying the same thing. That's all you need in scripture, three saying the same thing, and it's confirmed as a doctrine. You can't argue with that, but they do. There's a conspiracy. They want to de-deify Jesus. That's the conspiracy. There's a lot of people out there. Some many Christians who were once believers have been deceived and are now trying, they're working for the enemy trying to say Jesus isn't God. That's that's a huge deception. I would not want to be those people on judgment day. That's all I can say. And he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. So even he had to be the first one to be resurrected from the dead and to receive his imperishable body, which. It was a new nature that he put on himself. God was already God. He just placed a new nature, a physical nature, and then he placed the the imperishable body that we are one day to receive if we hold firm. Amen? Now, that's one doctrine of Christianity. That's the gospel. Amen? That's an important part. If you don't believe that, you're already a deceiver. You are out there to deceive many people. Jesus died for sin the sin of all men, on a cross. Colossians 1.19, this actually follows what I just read there. Colossians 1.19-21, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things. So he used Jesus to reconcile everyone to him, uh, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his bloodshed on the cross, once you were alienated. So Jesus' bloodshed on the cross uh, made peace with God. We're reconciled through that. There's many cults around that don't teach that Jesus' blood can do that. Make peace with God. Jehovah's Witnesses teach that you've got to go out there and walk the streets and, and, and reach as many people as you can to build up a works salvation. So does Islam. They do the same sort of thing. Um, Mormons, same sort of thing. It's a work-based salvation. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behaviour, so once we were enemies... But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. So through Jesus' physical body, we've been reconciled to God to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And I underline the word here, if. What's if? A condition. It's a conditional promise. If. So you will have this salvation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not move from the hope held out in the gospel. See, you will receive salvation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not move from the hope held in the gospel. You can't receive salvation unless you, you continue in your faith. Once saved, always saved is a lie from the pit of hell. It's a demonic deception. It's, it's condemning thousands of wannabe Christians 
to think that they can be and do and say whatever they want and live whatever, however they want and even reject Jesus and they cannot lose their salvation. But it says here, if you continue in your faith, you will receive salvation because it's a conditional promise. Established and firm, not moved. We are not to be moved from our, the hope held out in this gospel. And then Paul finishes with, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This gospel must be accepted as doctrine in our life and in what we teach and it must be the basis of our teaching or else we are a deceiver as well. Amen? Luke 24, 39. Now, I'll just say, resurrected physically, many cults and religions out there don't believe that Jesus actually was had a physical resurrection. Um, Jehovah Witnesses don't think it was. It was a spiritual you know, but it's very, very clear. Luke 24, 39, see my hands. Jesus said this after the resurrection, see my hands and my feet. That is I myself. Touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So he cleared that up in the scriptures. A spirit, I'm not a spirit. I didn't return from the grave spiritually. I returned physically in the flesh in a resurrected body. And John 20, 27, then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here uh, with your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving but believing. So he's saying, look, flesh and blood, mate, just like you. You know, I'm here. I'm here in, in person. Um, and I'll just quickly read the earliest creed of the church if you want to turn there, 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah, that's right, he's... He's eating, he's eating fish, he's eating bread, drinking wine. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 8. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. So he's telling us what the gospel is, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if, conditional promise, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Okay? So it's not once saved, always saved. It's once saved... If you hold firmly to the word, it's all once saved, always saved. If you hold firmly to the word, it's it's once saved and then condemned. If you don't hold firmly to the word, otherwise you have believed in vain. So for what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So that's the creed that the early church... Uh, lived by and it was the gospel that his physical resurrection his physical appearance after being uh, crucified and killed um, is that he lives today, amen no other mediator, this is one I just thought I'd put in here uh, there's a lot more to the gospel and to the doctrines that uh, there's, there's a few others that we should look at as well but I haven't got time today, but John 14 6, Jesus answered, I am the way the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me very simple, isn't it? Cut and dry. No one comes to the Father except through me. You try to pray to anyone other than me to get to the Father, you're wasting your time. You're deceived. Catholics pray to Mary to be heard by God. They ask Mary, help me pray, help me to pray. Why are they praying to Mary? Why are they asking Mary to help? For Mary to be able to help a million Catholics on earth, 
pray to the Father, Mary would have to be a God, wouldn't she? And is Mary God? No, she's a human. How can she hear a million prayers at once as a human? Can you hear a million people speak to you at one time and act on all their requests? No. It's actually necromancy, praying to the dead. You've got to be really careful when you pray to Mary. The Orthodox Church prays to saints to be heard by God. They, they kiss saints, a picture. And, and to me, that's also necromancy, and it's also clearly told to us in the Scriptures that you just don't do that. You can't get to God through praying to a saint. It's ridiculous. And, and the Scriptures are so clear, but people don't read them. The ministers in these churches, they don't read them. I really believe that the problem with the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church today is that the priests have stopped reading the Bible. They only read their little books, their, their church denomination books. And I think that's happening on a, uh, throughout many other denominations as well. You know, that's why you've got to rest on the Bible and the Bible alone. You can't have all these other influences uh, twisting the way you think about things and never read the Bible. I read other books, but I read the Bible too. Yeah, it's very important to actually know what the Bible says and back up and then you know what you've read if it's true because it'll, it'll work itself out. Because the Holy Spirit guides you as you read the Bible. The Holy Spirit speaks to you. The Holy Spirit um, brings scriptures to light and helps you to see it clearly as you read through the Bible. But the Bible is clear there is no other way to be heard by God than to pray through Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay, now what I want to do now is I'm, I'm going to shoot through some... Uh, religions out there and explain how, just very quickly and briefly, I've done complete sermons on these on iTunes, you can uh, listen to um, my Uncovering Religion series, and all of these, except for a couple, I uh, have sort of covered. Another gospel, the JWs, Jehovah Witnesses. The Jehovah Witnesses was, was founded in the late 1870s by Charles Taze Russell after the first of many failed prophecies of the date of Christ's return. So the, the foundation of, um, of Jehovah Witnesses is false prophecy, declaring Jesus to return on a certain date and he doesn't return. Now, they don't believe that Jesus is God or that he was divinely incarnated or that he was physically resurrected. They, don't, they believe the Holy Spirit is a force and not a person. They deny the essential doctrines of salvation by grace through faith. They deny the existence of hell. Mormons. Joseph Smith founded the Mormons in the late 1820s with the writing of another gospel which came to be known as the Book of Mormon. And you know in the uh, intro to the, uh, I don't know if it's there anymore, but in the intro, I'm on the intro pages, it used to say, and the cock crowed. That should send off warning bells to any Christian who knows the Word of God. And listen to what Joseph Smith wrote. He said, God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. I'm going to tell you how God came to be God. We have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. 
I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. He was once a man like us. Yes, that God himself, the father of us all, dwelt on an earth the same as Jesus Christ himself did. Here then is eternal life. You have got to learn how to be gods yourself, the same as all gods have done before you. Isn't that akin to Hinduism? Isn't that akin to New Age? You know, even Scientology, all that sort of stuff. Christadelphians were founded in 1848 by the founder, Dr. John Thomas, who believed he was to restore Christianity to the first century beliefs. And as I've said before, it's all in the uh, 19th century. This all took place in the 1800s. He believed that he had to restore Christianity to first century style Christianity. Uh, and again, I've written in the last one, they reject the immortality of the soul. That's one thing they reject, but they do not believe that Jesus is God or divinely incarnated or that he was physically resurrected. The Holy Spirit is a force and not a person. They deny the essential doctrine of salvation by grace through faith, and they deny the existence of hell. Uh, Christian science. Mary Baker Eddy discovered Christian science in 1866, again, the 19th century, after she had a serious fall and then later supposed later a supposed instantaneous self-healing, she gathered a small following around her and by 1875 she wrote a book called Science and Health. Again, don't believe the same things. Don't believe that Jesus is God or divinely incarnated, etc. Scientology was founded in 1953 by fictional author L. Ron Hubbard. Just four years after he made the statement, I'd like to start a religion, that's where the money is. <laughs> Who would follow this stuff? Anyway, again, they don't believe that Jesus is God or divinely incarnated, etc. Islam, another gospel. In AD 610, Muhammad received a vision supposedly from the angel Gabriel. He believed that the angel visited him and he was told that the world was, had abandoned true worship and that he was chosen by God as a prophet to bring the final message to the world. So very much like uh, Joseph Smith. Islam can best be described as a medieval Mormonism. By that we mean that both Joseph Smith and Muhammad assumed the classic stance of a cult, they were going to correct and replace Christianity. Okay, Hinduism, even though it's, Hinduism was around before Christianity began, um, it's still an opposing gospel or an opposing philosophy or belief system. Hindus worship 330 million gods, as well as every cow which they allow to walk freely around their cities. Hinduism as a religious system is a curse to India, creating a compassionless society due to its caste system. They believe you get born into your castes according to how good you lived your past life. So if you've lived a especially wicked past life, you'll be born down in the castes. So if you're born maimed or crippled or blind or whatever, they think it's just retribution for a past life lived badly. So therefore, they don't have compassion on the sick and the weak among them. You know, here in the West, we know that's foolish. But uh, in, in India, their religious system teaches them that. So when the first Christians went moved into India, India as missionaries, and they started to reach out to the homeless and the sick and the, you know, crippled and all, all the rest, these people couldn't believe it. They're like, what? And they received Christianity so easily because they're just like, all this compassion that they've never experienced, all this love. Hindus believe in karma and the results of karma in reincarnation may last several lifetimes and affects both spiritual status and social status. So where, where, where you get 
born, reborn again. Bad actions lead to a soul being reborn in a lower level of society or even as an animal. Mm. And of course they don't believe that Jesus is God and they don't believe that there's one and only God in the, in the persons, in three persons and, and so on. Baha'i. Baha'i believes that all the religions of the earth basically worship the same God and therefore they aim to bring about a one world religion through tolerance and acceptance of one another. And what they basically say is we all really believe the same thing, but anyone who really stands out and says something that's, that's contrary to everybody else, then that part of their belief is wrong. Therefore, when we stand up and say Jesus is the only way, like Oprah Winfrey, they turn and go, he can't possibly be the only way. What about the Hindus? What about the Muslims? And what about the Jehovah's Witnesses and everyone else? And they all say conflicting things. So they, uh, they, the one religion that's really not going to fit in is true, holy Christianity. They do not believe that Jesus is God or divinely incarnated. All the core fundamental truths of the Christian faith they reject, yet they accept everybody else's views because they're Baha'i and, um, and they are going to be used very powerfully or their system is going to be used uh, to form this one world religion or it's one of the things they're going to use the elite in this world another gospel, Buddhism Buddhism was based on the teachings attributed to Siddhartha Gautama early teachings of Buddha were definitely atheistic but polytheism in, in Buddhism emerged later, so he didn't even believe in God at all, but then it came about later. Buddha taught that life as we know it is an illusion and that we should work towards a state of nirvana, which is a transcendent state in which there is neither suf suffering, desire, nor sense of self, and the subject is released from the effects of karma. Anyone who can read that sort of a teaching and believe it just really wants to live in an illusion. Because he tells you, you know, life as we know it is an illusion. So if you believe that, you're living in an illusion as well. Therefore, you know, you're deceived. And you want to be. I want truth. I don't want illusion. <laughs> I don't want to be told that everything that I am is an illusion. Come on, man. There's got to be more truth to life than illusion. Another gospel. <laughs> New Age. The New Age is a basically is a westernised Hinduism, but made to look really, you know, really good. Where even though in the Hindus in in India, many Indians, especially in the lower caste, will admit that it's a bit of a curse to their country, not a bit, a complete curse. Uh, however, it's been repackaged and sold to America, and of course, it's it's flourished in all the Western countries. It's a westernised Hinduism and has as many facets as there are adherents. There's that many ways you can create your own new age system. They all believe something a little bit different to the next guy. And it's just, it's mind blowing to try to sort of, you know, navigate new age uh, teaching. Its ultimate aim is to gain Christ consciousness and become gods themselves. That's really the ultimate aim of, of new age. And of course, they don't believe that Jesus is God or that he was divinely incarnated or that he's physically resurrected. And they don't believe the core fundamentals of Christianity. So Christianity stands apart from all those other belief systems. And then there's Gnostic teaching. Gnostics believe Satan is the liberator, the great liberator. They teach that the creator of the world trapped Adam and Eve. This is how they put it. And you listen to the, the way they twist the scriptures. God, the creator, trapped Adam and Eve in, his, in this miserable world 
And Lucifer, in the form of a serpent, offered them the forbidden fruit of saving gnosis, saving knowledge, and showed them that the Creator was deceiving them. For God said that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The Bible continued, and the eyes of both of them were opened. It doesn't say they both died, however. So their eyes were opened, but it doesn't say they died. But we know the truth of that is they were given eternal life. And the moment they ate their fruit, they will, they, that eternal life was taken away. And they only lived to about, I think, 800, 900 years old, which is still... It's a good long life, but, you know, it's nothing compared to eternity. So the Bible continues, and the eyes of both of them were opened. It doesn't say that they both died. It says the eyes of both of them were opened. Like the serpent, he said, later the Creator says, and now man has become as one of us to know good and evil. So the Creator lied. He said that man would die if he ate the fruit, but man did not die. So the serpent was telling the truth. Therefore, the serpent is the great liberator, and your eyes have been opened, and you have saving Gnosis, saving knowledge. And that is the essence of Gnostic teaching, and it's highly promoted. Oh, that article, by the way, or that bit of a thing, came from www.theforbiddenreligion.com. And um, don't go there. <laughs> anyway, uh, that teaching is highly promoted in Hollywood in many, many movies. If you watch some Joe Schimmel uh, videos on Hollywood and uh, Hollywood's war on God, you'll see that that Gnostic teaching is being taught through all of these religions. Uh, sorry, through all the movies. Another gospel, Alien Oranges. Now, I added this just uh, yesterday, and this is interesting, and, and it's a deception that's going is coming very, very strongly around the world. Uh, UFOologists have believed this stuff for years. Matthew 24, 37 says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be be at the coming of the Son of Man. And we know if we read about what it was like in the days of Noah, there was Nephilim in the land, giants, uh, men of renown, and there was uh, angels that had come down to impregnate women. They, they took wives of themselves, and those women gave birth to these giants, these Nephilim. And uh, they came from the skies. It says that they came from above. They were gods. They were considered gods. Then it says Jesus made a clear statement that as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be just before he comes, that it's going, we're going to see similar outcomes. There's a lot of videos you can watch um, in relation to this, which I encourage you to. But the scientists, I want you to just, I just want to sort of sidestep for a second on digress. The scientists, that, or the naturalists, because it's only the naturalist scientists in the community, uh, who can no longer answer the overwhelming arguments of creationists and an intelligent designers, are now introducing an alternative explanation uh, for life's origins which fits in perfectly with the coming Antichrist agenda. Uh, Dawkins has said that he still believes that life most likely originated on Earth, but he has also said that an alien-designed start is an intriguing possibility. So they get to a point where they go, okay, we're clearly designed... Everything is clearly designed. It's very hard to refute that anymore because science keeps on pulling out more and more like amazing real, um, revelations in relation to how we are. So they say, well, it's possible that we come from aliens, right? That the aliens came here and they started us and they, they created us. So anything except accepting God, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So 
So Daw Dawkins is saying this. So this is just the, he's just speaking this out, and many scientists have said it as well. Intelligent life, he has explained, could have evolved elsewhere in the universe according to modern Darwinian theory, and this intelligent life could have eventually learned to engineer new life, and an engineered seed could then have ended up on, on Earth and subsequently evolved into all the life found here today. And that was from www.theoligarch.com. So I believe this is a strategic move in science to prepare the world for a coming alien deception, uh, counterfeiting the second coming of Christ. See, Jesus is going to come and says clearly that he comes in the clouds all, uh, and all the eyes of the earth will see him. He will come from the west to the uh, from the east to the west in like lightning. So everyone is looking to the skies, in a sense, for the return of Christ. Um, and I believe that there's a setup for this. There's been this, uh, um, for, for the last hundred years, there's been, you know, uh, increase in the sightings of UFOs and all this sort of stuff. And I've, I've been studying this for probably the last 20 years. And it's an intriguing thing to look at when you study it. Um, don't don't reject something before you look into it. That's all I'm trying to say. Um, look into it first before you go rejecting it. Hollywood has also been preparing us for this since uh, since it's first started making films. If you go back to the beginnings of Hollywood, they started making films about aliens and about spacecrafts and alien invasions and men having to fend off the aliens. And uh, you know we've got the movie Independence Day. There's all this stuff that. And even uh, President Ronald Reagan said that, um, you know, a, an alien invasion and, and could unite the whole world, you know, so uh, we could unite us against a common, you know, threat and all that sort of thing. So look into this, for we know that the coming Antichrist is not just an opposer of the real Christ and his followers, but he's also a substitute. He's going to substitute Jesus. He's going to come as a Messiah figure. And he's going to be highly welcomed. And he's going to come and he's going to teach people the truth according to him. And, uh, and what greater way than science to prepare us for the possibility of an alien life out there coming to earth, you know what I mean? All the world religions will embrace this false messiah. Islam are looking for the 12th imam. The Hindus will bow down to Krishna and all the gods which fly down from the skies with Krishna because they believe there's 330 million gods up there. Scientologists will recognize them as Xenu of the Galactic Federacy, Confederacy. Mormons will see them as gods from other galaxies coming to release them from the curse of this life. And Baha'i will see them as the truth bearers and JWs as the 144,000 chosen ones coming to set up the eternal kingdom. Now, be aware because this is something that is a threat and Jesus forewarns us. Now, if you reject what Jesus warning, if you just say, oh, yeah, as it was in the days of Noah, it rained. <laughs> That's about all it was. No, as it was, what was happening? There were Nephilim in the land. There was uh, gods coming down, uh, marrying, you know, the pretty girls of the time, impregnating them. That's what was going on. And it was rife. The whole land was rife with that. And it got to the point where God couldn't bear with men anymore because the intentions of their heart was only evil all the time. So this is, and now look up L.A. Mazzulli as well. L.A. Mazzulli. Watch some of his stuff. He's a brilliant speaker. He's a very knowledgeable man. He, he's, a, he's out there in the actual science and the archaeology. He's doing the actual digging a lot of the, a lot of the time. 
There's the emergent church. The main emergent church leaders are Rick Warren, Rob Bell, Peter Drucker, Rob Buford, Brian McLaren, Doug Padgett, Tony Jones, uh, and Bono. <laughs> uh, Pastor Joe Schimmel does an excellent expose on the emergent church called the Submerging Church. Watch that expose. He does a thorough job. You don't need to hear what I uh, may talk about it much now because the video is just is, is brilliant. Did you know that Jesus died to make you rich and prosperous? Did you know that? He died to make you wealthy beyond your wildest dreams. We know that's a lie. Amen. Jesus Christ died to give you an abundant life, says Joel Osteen. These are the, the prosperity preachers. Now, they teach this stuff because what they do is they manipulate people to put more in the offering. If you get a tenfold return, of course, if that's true, I'll put a, I'll put a thousand bucks in the offering and I'll get a $10,000 return somewhere. But is that a lie? Are they just fleecing the flock? That's all they're doing. The prosperity gospel is Christians getting given a license to love money and all that it gives and to treat God as a universal servant who exists to bless them. The name it, claim it gospel is the curse of this modern church, or one of the curses. They teach that God pretty well sits out there in eternity and he just waits for your prayers to come up to him so he can just spend his time blessing you. Yeah, yeah, have more, have more, have more. He's the give, give God. You name what you want, he gives it to you. I want a Ferrari and he's going to give it to you. They teach this stuff. We do. We know someone who came to Jesus through prosperity preachers. After 10 years, he was poorer than he was when he first came. He and his wife rejected Jesus, walked away from the faith. You know, I couldn't believe it. I was trying to explain. No, that's not the gospel. And he's, that's the gospel he accepted. That's the gospel he loved. That he now is, thinks not true. But it's, it was never true. Uh, prosperity gospel teachers fit in exceedingly well with books like The Secret and also the teachings of wealth creationists. There's a lot of wealth creationists around, if, and I've studied wealth creation in, in the past, and it's, uh, it fits in with prosperity preaching. It's like just extract Jesus out of all the statements and you've got prosperity, uh, wealth creation teaching. Another gospel, seeker-sensitive, easy believism. Make it easy and the people won't run away from Jesus or run away from the church is the more important thing. Once saved, always saved is salvation by grace, fused with Crowleyan philosophy, do what thou wilt. That's what it is. Once saved, always saved is fusing with do whatever you want. Because what they say, and I was listening to that guy, Stephen um, Anderson, he preaches once saved, always saved, and he says, there is nothing that you can do that will cause you to lose your salvation. You imagine if you're a drug addict and you hear that, oh, great, I can keep getting stoned. You know what I mean? Or if you're a serial killer, oh, great, I can go and kill again because I can't lose my salvation. Stephen Anderson told me that. Well, it's, 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 it's unbelievable they actually teach this. It's a 20th, 21st century rebellious catchphrase masterminded for the church. It's a catchphrase, a rebellious catchphrase in the church. Once saved, always saved. You cannot lose your salvation. It, it's, it's a life in the pit of hell. You can lose your salvation. It's very clear. It gives Christians a license to sin and even fall away without any concern of losing salvation. They even say you can't even fall away from God once you've accepted him. 
So if you reject Jesus, if someone you know, uh, teaches you something else and you go, yeah, that sounds better than Christianity, and you go and become that other thing, they even teach that you still won't lose your salvation as long as once in your life you accepted Jesus. Come on, is that not clearly false? How can these people believe this? And, and how many scriptures have I pulled up over the, over the years that says complete contrary? If you continue in this way, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. If, you know, all these ifs. I'm going to have to do that sermon on if. I, I really do think it's going to come up soon. The if factor. That's a good time. It gives Christians a license to sin and even fall away without any concern of losing their salvation. John 15, 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If anyone does not remain in me, it doesn't say whether you remain in me or not doesn't matter. You're still going to heaven. It says if you do not remain in me, I'm going to pick you up, I'm going to throw you into the fire, and you're going to burn for eternity. To be a once saved, always saved, you've got to twist that meaning to mean something else. You've got to twist that scripture. So the conclusion to all this, Leonard Ravenhill said, for this day of doom, our pale, pathetic, paralysed Protestantism needs God-filled and God-guided men, and he says, wanted prophets of God. And you know what a prophet he's talking about? Is someone that would just preach the true Christianity, the true gospel, and don't water it down, don't twist it, preach it pure, not these, you know, pathetic versions, not these watered-down, weak, powerless versions. He also said when God-given, heaven-sent revival does come, it will undo in weeks the damage that blasphemous modernism has taken years to build. And modernism being all these things that have come about, um, especially in the 20th, 19th and 20th centuries. It's going to take just weeks when revival hits, to do incredible changes to all of these, uh, these false religions and teachings. And there's a, a famous saying that says, when the tide is low, every shrimp has their own pool. When the tide is low, every shrimp has its own little pool and they can teach and do whatever they want in that pool. But when the tide is high, those pools are washed away and, and, then, and then you have to, you know, if, it's, if that tide is the tide of God... He's going to sort a lot of stuff out. And so I believe that, uh, that, that God has called us to be a truth-teaching church, a church that is, is, follows nothing but the true word of God. And, of course, in this day and age, with this amount of false teaching around, it's not popular. It's not itching ear preaching, is it? You know, I don't itch anyone's ear here. If anything, you get whacked in the ear here. <laughs> You know what I mean? But it's important. We've got to, we've got to know the truth. We've got to live by the truth. Amen? All right. So thank you, God. Thank you for this uh, message. And I pray, Lord, that you um, help it to go far and wide and reach many people's hearts and minds and impact many uh, for the kingdom of God and uh, help them to come out of these false deceptive religions and teachings that uh, seem to have swamped our, uh, our planet. And, Lord, I pray for this heaven-sent revival 
that Leonard Ravenhill uh, talks about, that uh, you'll come in uh, with power and sort out in weeks what the devil's been uh, getting messed up for years. Uh, and I pray, Lord, that you use us and help us to stay firm in the faith and not walk away from the, the truth of the gospel, but stay strong and uh, forthright in it in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray this in your wonderful name and just bless our week and bless everything that takes place in this coming week. In the name of Jesus, amen.